the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back. Hour number two, 605 on the clock. Craig Roberts on the radio. And as we turn a corner, uh, you know that there's been a lot of give and take over the issue of Title X funding down through the years. It seems that every Republican conservative administration says we're not going to use Title X funds for publicly funding abortions. And then in comes the next Democratic presidency. And they, of course, then reverse the decision made by the Republican administration. And on and on it goes. Well, the most recent ban, of course, now being met by the point of consternation from Planned Parenthood that they've now decided to withdraw from this federal family planning program. We said, wait a minute, though. Planned Parenthood, isn't it by the very name an organization that's supposed to be about family planning? So why would they withdraw from a family planning program? Well, let's get some insights. Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, Brian Johnston. What is going on with uh, what may by some seemingly be an innocuous decision by Planned Parenthood that at the end of the day actually actually demonstrates something much deeper and more insidious? Yes, that's right. And what we've known all along about Planned Parenthood is that abortion is their essential purpose. That is how they're designed. And they want to promote abortion. And they already do this, we know, in the cultural war that's going on. Very rarely will they use the term abortion because it makes you think about what's happening. They prefer phrases and semantics like choice. We want to promote choice. We want to promote uh, reproductive rights. There's nothing reproductive in what happens in abortion. It's the opposite of reproductive. And in the case, as you say, of family planning, they've used that for years. I think the most significant aspect, and we're seeing victories on the federal level here with Title X, and also on the state level, seeing a little bit of a break. The reality is that, remember way back, Craig, they used to say, get the government out of the bedroom. The government shouldn't be involved in this whole abortion debate. What a deceit, because in fact, the abortion industry has depended on government funds, on our tax dollars, for many, many years. And Title X is the most blatant example And you're right, it's gone back and forth. But what's significant now with President Trump, he has been determined to hold them accountable and to make that distinction. Abortion should not be promoted as a form of family planning. And if you want to promote family planning, you can go ahead and get those Title X funds. But they're not designed to use abortion as a simple backup birth control, as a form of family planning. And the courts now, that the... Ninth Circuit has stood with President Trump. It's extraordinary, and it's really put, it's belied what they've been saying all along. They, they really want to use the phrase family planning to deceive the average person. They're in 
to abortion, to killing human beings as a form of birth control. And most Americans don't agree with that. And understandably so. I mean, this has been a game that Planned Parenthood has been playing for years, where on the surface they sort of try to present this altruistic, uh, family-friendly organization. We know that even at the point at which it was revealed they were engaged in the harvesting and resale of of, um, uh, aborted fetus body parts, uh, that they were trying to instead say, oh, no, what we really do is we're, we're, we're providing uh, breast examinations and cancer screenings. I mean, it, it always tends to lead with what, for the American population, tends to be good things. I mean, uh, the, the, yeah. the sense of providing health care services, well, my goodness, why, <coughs> why would we want to deny them funding for good things like that when, in fact, in reality, that's almost like a cover for what the real agenda is. And this decision, this announcement of them withdrawing from the Title X um, because they can't get their way in relationship to using the funds for abortion demonstrates what the real agenda is. Yes, Greg, and I think that what we're seeing now is a recognition. Again, the average pro-choice person that self-identifies as pro-choice, they actually don't want the government involved. And that, that's why I say, hey, you know what? Let's get the government out of the abortion industry. Let's take them up on their initial statement, government out of my bedroom, government out of abortion. Let's take them up on that offer, and they will begin to wither away on the state level. This is significant. As you remember, RU46, that last session, we had a tremendous battle, and it got through the legislature, and thankfully, Jerry Brown said, look, you can get RU46 anywhere in the state, and within five minutes of any university or state college, he he basically vetoed it. Because it's there, and by the way, at those places, it's paid for by the state. But now that bill is back, as we know, it's SB24, and we've talked about it. That is moving through. At that time, then incoming Governor Gavin Newsom said, I will sign that bill. I want state universities and colleges to go ahead and hand out free RU-46. Again, not a morning-after pill. The mother is involved in killing her child. She's alone as she passes the child. It's a very, very difficult and bloody and risky circumstance. But here's the big change, Greg, and, and that is that for the first time, they didn't do it last time, the State Department of Finance has come out and said, we're opposed to this bill. We don't have enough money. We shouldn't be putting our money into this. State colleges and universities should not be abortion centers. <laughs> They're not designed for this. This is a boondoggle, a financial boondoggle. This is hugely significant because they've been silent up to now. But really, it's our tax dollars that has been underwriting the abortion industry. And the more people know that, again, even if they're not pro-life, your neighbor that says they're pro-choice, they're not into the government paying for this. And if they understand what's going on, and now even the government itself is coming forward, those that have to balance the books. Here in California, again, the most leftist, liberal, pro-abortion state, Department of Finance now opposes SB 24. That doesn't mean that your assembly member won't vote for it anyways because they're walking in lockstep, but this is huge. It isn't just pro-life people saying, this is way too much. It's the state itself. And that's, that's a breath of fresh air. 
It certainly is. And I mean, in a state like California, where uh, we haven't met a liberal policy that we didn't like and weren't willing to throw millions of dollars at, the fact that the Department of Finance for our state has said, hey, this is not sound financial wisdom. Um, just just demonstrates that there's beginning to be some uh, what's the phrase cracks in the fuselage here that I think all of us can see as as encouraging uh, and and you know uh, it, too early to tell whether or not this is going to be uh, some tremendous reversal. I mean again I think that the objection here is based purely on economic grounds and not moral ones. Uh, but listen we'll take the victories any way we can get them. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Thanks for the update. Information available on the web at nrlc.org. That's nrlc.org. 6.15, an update for you on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Weary is an area in my Christian walk that I will admit I struggle with. Not even just from time to time, sometimes almost continuously. And let's face it, these days there's a big laundry list of things that we can all be worried about. Now, it's not just limited to, will the Giants win the playoffs? But it's things like financial problems, family troubles, health problems, things of this sort. And suddenly we find ourselves in a whole heap of worry. But what does Jesus say about worry? Well, he tells us, first off, in Matthew 6 and 25, not to be anxious about life, not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or about our body or what you're going to wear. You have to um, set aside concerns over things like food. In fact, realize that even as God cares for the birds of the air, as they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them, so too then should we recognize that we are of greater value than they, and therefore should recognize that being anxious cannot add even a single hour to our lifespan. In fact, medical doctors will often tell you it can detract from your physical health. So how do we deal with worry and being anxious in life? Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry is the title of a new book by Amy Simpson. And Amy, great to have you on the program. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Well, this is a topic I think all of us uh, deal with at one layer or another. I guess maybe the big room divider here would be those that um, that have a healthy amount of worry. Um, I think sometimes that fight-flight response to things going on around us is an important one to, to have. And, but then, of course, there's the other side of this coin, and that is when worry becomes excessive. It's no longer normal. It is over-concern or, or maybe a combination of a couple of things, over-concern and, as you suggest in the book, uh, coupled with some under-trust. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do feel like it's important to make some distinctions, be, you know, because um, what, what I'm talking about here is not pathological anxiety. It's not, um, you know, an anxiety disorder, which really needs to be addressed through maybe counseling, um, sometimes medication, sometimes both. Um, but really the choice to engage in worry. And you're right, anxiety is, uh, and fear are created to be healthy tools for us. They can help keep us safe. They can help us make wise decisions and avoid situations that we should avoid. Um, sometimes I think when people think they need to address the problem of worry in their lives, they really try to get rid of all fear and anxiety. And, you know, we don't need to rid ourselves of those things completely. They are positive, healthy tools. But worry, you know, just 
pointlessly worrying about something is different. And, you know, choosing to engage in that behavior does reflect, um, I think, often reflect a belief in our lives that needs to be corrected. Let's drill down to some important definitions here. First, you make a, a distinction, I think, that it, it can be a decision. This is something that we engage in, that there is an aspect of this that is that is voluntary. Is that so? Yeah, absolutely. Now, with something like an anxiety disorder, the anxious response, that fight or flight, is not voluntary. And even with someone who has an anxiety disorder, that's not voluntary. It's really a healthy, normal process that's working too well. It's working overtime and the body or the brain doesn't know when to shut it off. And that's different. What I'm talking about is the worry that we do engage in voluntarily, even if it's so habitual that we think we're not choosing to do it. It is an action, whether we realize it or not. And it is something that we can um, can address. It, you know, it's not out of our control. Is there an aspect of this which is um, passed along through family lines? And I ask that question because oftentimes I think of people that kind of tend to uh, uh, fit into that so-called worry more category that might tend to come from a family where it was very common. You know, dad worried about finances, mother worried about whether or not the bills were going to be paid on time, or sometimes whether or not dinner was undercooked or overcooked. I mean, it, it can go from the sublime, I suppose, to the ridiculous. Do we tend to sometimes model that if we've seen um, a parent in our uh, youth who excessively gave time over to worry? Do we tend to sometimes pick up those habits? Yeah, absolutely. Just like any other behavior or any other habit, um, worry can be modeled for us. And and unfortunately, as we engage in it and indulge it, we um, make it more likely that it will become habitual, maybe even get to a point where it's Um, really destructive to our health, or it feels like something we can't control. And and more than that, as your book goes into in great detail, it can go beyond something that is uh, simply um, obsessive to the destructive power of worry that can not only uh, overcome and impact our relationships with um, our spouses or our children, but even ultimately have a negative impact on our relationship with God. Yeah, exactly. Worry is really, I consider it really an act of rebellion on our part. Um, first, you know, first of all, doing something that God has, has asked us not to do, asked his people not to do. Um, but also, you know, choosing to often, like I said, there's a belief behind that worry. So often it's a, a belief that is something like, um, I believe the world is my responsibility, <laughs> or I believe God is not strong enough to handle this, or... Um, you know, I'm, I'm worrying because I'm trying to see into the future. I'm trying to understand what's going to happen so that I can decide what I should do now. And that's not something that God has given us. You know, he hasn't given us the future. So sometimes we are trying to, when we, we worry, we are actually trying to undermine the, the created order, the limitations that God has placed on us, um, the dramatic... Um, distance between us and him as far as how much higher his ways are than our ways. Is there a direct correlation, too, based on your research on this book, Amy, between um, worry and the the desire to want to control the future, um, pitted against our ability to trust God? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the the future is one of the, our greatest sources of worry. And when we stop to think about what exactly we're worrying over when we say we worry about um, what's going to become of our kids or our jobs or 
um, the economy or something like that, often we are worrying about tomorrow or next year or five years down the road. And what we're really doing is, again, trying to live in a place we can't live, trying to access something that God has not given us. And what that does, in effect, is pull us away from what he has given us. You know, it's a distraction from the present, um, from what God has placed in front of us and called us to, where in favor of something that he has not given us mm. and that may never be ours. And may also, therefore, um, potentially drive a, a wedge between ourselves and God, too, because we're, we're trying to control something that he has not given us control over. And, and obviously, then, too, demonstrative of maybe a notion, a little bit of that, that sin nature creeping in, where we feel as if we can do a better job controlling things than God himself. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's a problem of of misunderstanding ownership as well. You know, mm. we tend to think that we own the people and possessions in our lives, and we don't. Um, scripture teaches very clearly that everything and everyone belongs to God. And when we get that confused and begin to think that, you know, we really have ownership and we can't afford to lose the things we have, or, um, you know, that we are responsible for our children or our spouses or our employees or the other people in our lives, um, we begin to take on, again, a measure of control that's inappropriate for us and, and uh, sort of forget or sideline the role that God plays as, as our sovereign God. We're visiting today with Amy Simpson, a look at anxious choosing faith in a world of worry. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation on a topic I think that impacts a lot of us. It's one perhaps that uh, you struggle with. I know it's one that I struggle with, and that is the issue of worry. Family troubles, financial problems, whatever it might be, you worry. But what does that say of your relationship with God, and how do we address the destructive power of worry? That's what we're dealing with today, her new book, Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. Jack in San Jose. Jack, hello, welcome. Come on in with your comment or question for Amy Simpson. Thank you, Amy, for uh, saying thank you, KFAX, for taking my calls. Um, I do have uh, a lot of anxiety and worries. Well, I did have them in the past, and I uh, came across my Christian mentor gave me Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that I have classically memorized that verse, and I uh, recite that always as far as uh, taking my memory, my uh, worries, and just submit them to God and let Him take care of all the problems that I'm uh, facing. Pretty much, we, we all created worry-free, uh, I mean, uh, we're filled with worries around us. We worry just about everything. And we think that, you know, we want to have a control of our life, and we want to be in charge of it. We want to be in control of it. But, and that's where we lose it. 
You know, we do, and that's an excellent observation, Jack, and maybe maybe you can address that. It's not that having concerns and worries are, are not normal. Um, that's not something that we should say, oh, I think worried about something. i got to go and confess. Uh, there's a healthy degree of worry. There's a natural degree of worry, but it's what we do with it. It's how we respond, and as the caller suggests, uh, being able to surrender to Scripture and surrender to God and, and use many Scriptures that exhort us about how important it is to not worry and to surrender those concerns to God can really be a big key toward getting out from underneath the destructive power of worry, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's important to recognize that any habit of ours, any behavior, is really a reflection of, of something we believe. And so if, we're, you know, if we have a habit of worry or we're worrying destructively, we need to examine you know, what's the belief behind that. And the way to combat that belief is to reaffirm what is actually true you know we're believing something probably that's false like i'm in charge of the world or you know everything's up to me or i can control this um, or i can do a better job than god can and we need to tell ourselves things that are actually true and and reciting scripture is a, a wonderful way to do that because those are god's words and they are true all right, we thank you so much, Jack, for your call. That leaves the line open at 888-367-5329, 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Is there a healthy degree of worry, Amy? And if so, how do we, we keep that in balance? I mean, for example, there are days when I've left the house and I, I get halfway down the street and I worry, hmm, did I, did I remember to turn off the stove? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, I right. mean, there are certain types of worry that I would seem, uh, would seem to me can be, can be healthy if they're kept in balance. Yeah, and I would I would really actually make a differentiation between um, there between worry and anxiety because I would say that you know there's a healthy that's a healthy degree of anxiety you know that um, if we're not sure whether we turned off the stove we should we should wonder about that we should have a, a level of anxiety about that that will drive us to either go back and turn it off or turn it off next time you know it helps us to make wise decisions to anticipate things that might happen. Um, but if you were if you were to not do anything about that and you were just to simply worry about it all day, mm. you know that's not a healthy response and that's not a productive response. You're not actually accomplishing anything um, to address that problem. You're so, so when worry comes about, about, then there there needs to be some kind of responsive action to it, not just to continue and wring your hands and and uh, pace the floor, but to either surrender over to God or you know again in the example, gee, I left the house. I wonder if I turned the stove off. I'm worried about that. Well, yeah, I can... sometimes we're worrying because we're, we're we're putting off taking action on something we actually should should do, and we worry about it instead. Um, and God, God, I would suspect then, always wants us to take action, whether it's responsive, like turning the car back around and heading home and double-checking and finding out, oh, guess what, I did forget to turn off the stove, or putting it in proper perspective and saying, you know what, uh, this is a crippling obsession, uh, it is threatening my well-being, I am trying to control something in the future right. that I cannot control, and I need to therefore take positive steps, positive action to surrender that to God. Exactly. And sometimes it is a matter of, of acknowledging that we can't actually take any action. It may, there may be a situation that we actually don't have the power to, um, to change or to control. And in those cases, we need to acknowledge. And, you know, we often speak of surrendering control to God, but what we're really doing when we do that is um, we're not surrendering anything. We're just acknowledging what's already true. You know, we're not giving God um, the responsibility for, for the world. He already has it. So we just need to submit ourselves to that. 
It's a little bit of, again, a sin nature here, too, isn't it? Because we're trying to wrestle from God control over things over which we have no control. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, really, in, in trying to be be like God or take on God's um, place in relationship to the universe. And we simply we simply don't have that, that power, and, and we simply have not been given control over everything. And thank God that we have not been, <laughs> um, you know, because we certainly would not make it better. We're visiting with Amy Simpson, author of Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, something that all of us need to take a look at. I mean, there's a whole ton out there to be worried about. The problem is that sometimes we don't keep it in proper perspective. We allow the the obsessive nature of worry to become destructive. And, of course, that destructiveness can not only be crippling from an emotional standpoint, but also destructive in terms of the impact that it has on our relationships, ultimately our relationship with God, because as Amy suggests, oftentimes this issue of worry is one where we, we're trying to control something that we cannot control that is uniquely in the hands of God. And we're suggesting maybe what, through worry, that we can do a better job than he can? We might not articulate it that way, but maybe our actions would suggest otherwise. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we have suggested on today's program, there are a lot of reasons why and things going on in the world around us and in your own personal life to worry. Lots of reasons to worry, all except one, and that is that God commands us not to worry. In fact, as suggested by our guest today, we need to take a a strong look at our relationship with him and trust issues if we become overwhelmed by worry. And toward that end, this is an interesting topic in in your own personal life. Um, Amy, how have you struggled with this? Yeah, I mean, this book really comes out of my own experience. I I have really spent a lifetime being a, a worried and anxious person um, but not really recognizing it for what it was, because I could always point to somebody else around me who was w- more worried than I was. Um, but God just really um, began to open my eyes to my own worry habits. Like a few years ago when I was um, sitting in a, a church service and, and I heard uh, Isaiah 40 being read. And, and for some reason, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've heard these passages many times, but for some reason I heard them, heard this in a new way. And and in Isaiah 40, when it talks about God says, you know, who can compare to me? Who is like me? No one. I am, you know, so strong and so mighty that I know all of the stars by name. And because of me, not one of them is missing. And I, for some reason, I, that just hit home for me in a way it hadn't before where I realized, you know, this, this God who is talking to his people in ancient times through the prophet Isaiah is the same God that I claim to trust and to worship. Yeah. And here I am kind of stewing in worry and in anxiety and and trying to control things that are outside my control. And, uh, you know, if he is keeping track of all the stars and he knows all of them by name, boy, why do I think that I can't trust him with the things that that worry me and that threaten to overwhelm me? So, I, you know, I've been on a journey with that, and God has been addressing that with me and and writing this book project, you know, is a, a part of that as well. So... I am still on that journey. I am certainly not worry-free, um, but God, God's changing my habits and my heart's there, and he's doing it 
really through addressing my the beliefs that fuel my worry. Is a big part of this, too, about priority and perspective? I ask that question because it, we're reminded of um, what Jesus says in Luke twelve twenty two, where he says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough to eat or clothes to wear. Life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Therefore, seek the kingdom of God first above all else, and he will give you everything that you need. And the reference there to unbelievers puts this in perspective, doesn't it? Worry is what the world does. Worry, and obsessively so, is not what we as Christians should do. Right. We are called to live differently. And we live in a very worried world. We live in a culture that not only worries a lot, but also values worry as a way to show that we're important, we're engaged, we care about the world around us, and is suspicious of people who are at peace. But we are called to live at peace um, and to live a life of faith and trust. And that is, a, that is a, a thing that will make us stand out as Christians in this world. And you're right, it's, sometimes it is a matter of, um, it's certainly a matter of perspective, sometimes it's a matter of priority as well, because worry can be a way um, of revealing to us that we are prioritizing our own concerns above those of God's, mm. and sometimes just a matter of focusing on, okay, what is important to God in this situation can completely flip our perspective and make us realize that we are worrying over things that, you know, in, in God's <laughs> um, economy aren't, don't matter that much. The, the bigger perspective, I mean, because otherwise yeah. we can be crippled as much by worry as by spiritual myopia, that, that, that sense of, of, of short-sightedness or narrow-sightedness that doesn't allow us to look beyond the current problem. And again, I want to be careful in underscoring that there are oftentimes uh, worries that come along over legitimate things, mm-hmm. making sure that you um, have enough money to pay the mortgage to keep a roof over the head of your children if your husband has lost his job or your wife has lost her job. That's a legitimate concern. Absolutely. And yet it shouldn't be a crippling one. And if we allow it to do so, doesn't that suggest a bit of a spiritual narrow-mindedness here that we think somehow that God can't see above and beyond the totality of all of our needs, including whether or not the rent is paid? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we get lost in our own uh, perspective and forget that there is a much larger perspective. And, of course, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't mean to minimize the things that, that make us worry. And God doesn't either, really. If you look in Scripture, God never tells us, you don't worry because there's nothing to worry about or because the things that you worry about are unimportant. He says, you know, when he tells his people not to worry in Scripture, he always tells them why. And the reason he gives them is never based in um, their circumstances. It's always based in who he is. It's always that we are not to worry because of who God is. And And so regardless of our circumstances, he is greater than those circumstances. And that really takes us back full circle to the initial portion of our conversation where we made that worry-trust correlation that, that really at the end of the day... An extreme degree of worry is suggesting an extreme degree of lack of trust, and the ability to supplant worry with trust um, will will ultimately not only, quite frankly, give us a better night's sleep, but also enrich our spiritual walk and deepen our relationship with Christ. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, and actually, the you know, making a habit of practicing trust rather than, than worrying, sort of replacing the worry with not only a change in our beliefs, but a change in our practices mm-hmm. can be a powerfully faith-deepening activity. So this is something you have to purpose to do? Yes, 
It is, especially in a, in a, a world where, uh, you know, the culture around us encourages us to worry, and a world where there are plenty of, of reasons to be worried. You know, if God is not on his throne, if God is not in charge of this world, and if he doesn't love us, we have every reason in the world to be worried. Otherwise, to recognize that this is not a one-and-done sort of approach, that in fact you need to renew your trust in him, as a previous caller suggested, um, uh, committing to memory certain scriptures that help you gain uh, a proper balance and focus on a relationship and who's really in charge. Because as Amy points out, if God is not on the throne and God is not in charge, we are in a whole ton of trouble, and therefore you have every reason to worry yourself right into ground. If, however, you believe that God is still on the throne, still in charge, that he is the founder and creator of all that is around us, and there is nothing that is outside of his control, then it's a matter of surrendering the worry over to him, saying no to the enemy who wishes to preoccupy you with worry, and learning to deepen your trust in him. The book is called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, and the book newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at the usual suspects, as well as through Amazon.com. Amy also has a website that you can check out, amysimpsononline.com. And Amy, thanks so much for the time and the insights tonight. There's Amy Simpson, Anxious. All right, be anxious for nothing. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.